So, the, the crown is worth the commitment. Paul is always looking toward something. He's always looking toward something. And he feels that what he's looking toward, what he's pressing toward, what he's disciplining himself for is worth the effort, worth the discomfort, worth the difficulty. And uh, many people have tried to discern, well, what is this mark of the high calling of God? You know, what is the thing to win the race? Uh, certainly, I don't believe he's talking about salvation here, okay? Paul's not worried about that. He's really talking about something uh, important to all of us. And so, I was thinking through it today, and many of you probably are going, what are we doing during three weeks of prayer and fasting? What is this? Is this tradition? You know, we just start the year this way. What are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to accomplish? Somebody asked, what are the benefits? You know, what's the payoff, right? What we are doing is we are practicing self-control in a controlled, pre-planned environment so that ultimately, with enough practice, it becomes second nature. All right? You have things in your life that are instinctual, that when you were a kid, you didn't like to do it. I don't know how many of you guys didn't like to bathe. I remember that very specifically. Now, I was a small child, but I didn't like it. I didn't like to stop and come inside for anything, hardly eating, you know? Um... Didn't brush my teeth very often unless somebody reminded me, you know. Now, that's gross if you're an adult and you like girls, but, you know, at that age, it's not very useful to have clean mouth, you know. I didn't think about it. And so, but there were things that people pressed upon us in a controlled environment to help us understand, and now many of those things you do without thinking, right? You do without thinking. So we practice these things in a controlled environment where we pre-plan and we think of what will best work for us and how it will fit in so that we do it enough that self-control and self-denial becomes almost automatic, becomes second nature. That's what we're trying to accomplish here. And Paul understood that well. He's, in the King James, he said, I beat my body and bring it under subjection. He understood that his problem was not demons. His problem was not spiritual authority in high places. His problem was him. The only thing that could keep him from accomplishing what he'd been called to do was him. It was not darkness. It was not the occult. It was not black magic. You know, this has been one of my pet peeves for some time, you know. When you see a devil behind everything... It takes away human responsibility. And there are so many Christians, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, that have this a spirit of idolatry and a spirit of lust and a spirit of this. You know, I, I want to ask, is there, is, you know, I, I just want to go, is there a spirit of laziness? Right? Because it's got to work everywhere. It can't just be in the areas that I can't control, right? Or I don't seem to be able to overcome. It can't be in those areas. I mean, 
And, and that's what you, you see is we, we're blaming on everything. And Paul said, that's not the problem. He said, I know hell is aligned against me. I know, he said, there's no problem with them. They're a defeated foe. He said, the thing that stands between me and doing all God has called me and empowered me to do is me. I'm my own worst enemy. I'm the thing that can trip me up. I'm the thing. That, and so he said, knowing that, I discipline my body. I discipline it, right? So I'm trying to think of an example to help you understand what we're doing when we're saying in a controlled, pre-planned environment. And the best example I could get is when a soldier joins the military, right? They don't place him in combat immediately. They give him some training. Right? And a lot of that training comes with cleaning the gun and breaking the gun down before they ever fire it. Some of you military people help me in here, okay, right? I'm just assuming because I've not been in the military, right? But there is some practice fire on a range, right? But they don't put you in a live fire moment right out of just learning to fire the gun. What I see, what I know of, and what I looked online today, since I didn't know from experience is... They, they use lasers. They use paintballs. They use rubber bullets, right? Because what they're trying to do in a controlled environment where nobody gets their head shot off, right? Does no good to train people when we're having our trainees fall because we just put them out in a live fire and they don't have instinct for determining who's friend and who's foe and when to shoot, when's the clear line of sight. So what they do is they train them in an environment where there are no real consequences, all right, where nobody really dies so that they become instinctual and second nature at determining who's friend, who's foe, where's the clear line of shot, who, when we, who, who should we shoot, who, we, who shouldn't, and all those things, and how should we back up one another. And then after much training with that, they put them out into real combat situations, right? And that, to me, is what we're doing in these three weeks. We are preparing for a place when we haven't pre-planned, when temptation is going to come upon us, when we're tired and we're weak, and hopefully what we've done in this time has made us so used to saying no and prioritizing the spiritual above my own wants that I'll be in that instant environment be able to say, no, that's not the will of God. That's what you're trying to do. And you don't pull that off if you don't do this. That's what we're trying to avoid. You get into a situation where you're tired and you're carnal, right? And then the great temptation comes on you and you go, why, sure, I say yes to me all the time. And that's what Paul is talking about here. All right? Uh, I don't know, Solomon must have been an American, I think. And no, he wasn't. But I love, he says in Ecclesiastes 2.10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Sound familiar? Sound like our current culture? He tried what many Americans would try if they had the means. He had the means. He had the opportunity. If there is a continuation that goes from legalistic, restrained, and ascetic, to licentiousness, reckless, and hedonistic, we live in a society that favors the self-indulgent end of the spectrum, right? That's where we live. That's where everything, do it. If it feels good, do it, you know? Who, who could tell you what's right or wrong? It, it's your truth. Live out your truth. Have anybody heard this stuff? 
right? There's no, 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 we don't, we don't believe in authorities and no authority can tell you what to do and, and it's all just power struggle anyway. There's no right and wrong. There's no absolutes. Does that sound familiar? So we live in a place that, if it, that, that your feelings should determine what you do. Right? If you feel like an elephant, you are an elephant. I'm being facetious, you understand that, right? But I mean, where is this going next? I think we owe some, some, some young women that have been in treatment, you know, in the last 20 years over bulimia and anorexia. I think we, this generation now that thinks that what you feel is true, owe those girls, you know, an apology for all the treatment they went through because they believed in spite of the reality that they were overweight and they were trying to get down to this ideal weight. Should we have just told them, you're right, honey, you're exactly how you feel. If you feel fat, oh, you're 85 pounds. I'm sorry, you are fat. But we didn't tell them that, did we? We told them, honey, your skin is hanging off your bones. Your organs are going to shut down. If you don't get some minimal nourishment, you're going to hurt yourself. But now, 20 years later, after that epidemic, we're saying, oh, honey, if you feel that way, that's what you are. Regardless. So our feelings, how I feel, I don't feel comfortable in this body, you know. There are even people who want to be handy-abled. Have you heard of this trend? They have a healthy limb, but they feel like they're handicapped. So luckily, there's not a lot of doctors cutting arms off. Perfectly good arms so they can be handy able. No, this is the world you live in, right? We say no to nothing. If it doesn't hurt anybody, well, who's to define harm? We have prepubescent or pubescent girls cutting off natural good parts because they don't feel comfortable. And their body. Right? This is a dangerous place that we live in. And Paul is getting at something. He understood that. He understood. He lived in a culture much like that. And Kenneth Woost, who wrote the New Testament, you know, was a Greek scholar and wrote it for Greek for readers like us. He says, if you interpret literally what Paul said, Paul said, I beat my body black and blue and make it my abject slave. Now, that's a metaphoric. He didn't mean I'm being hard on my body and I get a bat out and hit myself like this. All right? It's a metaphoric. But he's trying to get to the ideal that in order to be fit and ready for service and to pursue what we've been called to do, it's going to take some discipline. Right? This is a far, far away from that feeling you hear a lot of times. It's just let go and let God. No. Paul did not say just let go and let God be God. No. He said there's something I have to do under the inspiration and power of the Spirit or I'm going to get in my own way and trip me up. Paul speaks of his body in the sense of his adversary. He didn't say the devil. He said my body is my adversary. My body, my desires, my wants, my whims, my comforts, my, my enjoyments, right? My entertainment, that's what's in my way. Those things. 
He said if left unchecked, they would war against his soul and deter him from his calling. Paul knew that his biggest enemy to his destiny was him was Paul, the apostle. Now, if him, somebody who was caught up into the third heaven, performed miracles, right, founded churches, wrote inspired words of the Bible, knows he's got to discipline himself, how in the world do you think you can skate by, right, and be effective for the king of kings and for what you have been brought to the kingdom for without some discipline? Right? If he knew, hey, if I don't, I could tear down the very things I built up in other lives. If I don't discipline myself. And so that's what we've been after. We've been after it in a controlled environment because you're going to come into temptation where you're not expecting it. And when you're unprepared. And when you're weak. And then, because what we're trying to determine is... Can you do it in a controlled environment? And if you can't discipline yourself to do that, you should have no confidence I'm able to handle the big temptations. You with me now? Now why you see why? So This is not just we fast to see who's super spiritual and who, who can say no to themselves and who's all got it. This is training for dealing with things that are offered to us. It is it's subordinating my fleshly desires to the spiritual things of God. It is saying they are more valuable, they are more important in a controlled way so that when I'm really offered that big money or whatever my temptation is and nobody would see and nobody would look and nobody would know, if I can't do this over here for a day or for a Daniel... I should not expect that I can handle that. You with me? This is training. This is getting ready to be used. If I would say no to God, right, in these small areas, understand backbone didn't grow at once. You got to, faith is progressive. And so if you learn to say no to self, right, and, and subordinate the desires of the flesh in the small areas, even in legitimate areas, then you'll be more likely to say no to the flesh and to sin in the bigger areas. You will. There, there are these sweet people, I love them, but they think one day, you know, the end time's going to come, and they're going to be put in jail for their faith, and they're going to all of a sudden grow a backbone and say, no, 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 I will not deny him. I'll go to jail. You won't even be uncomfortable in your culture. You, you, the, the culture matters so much to them and what they think of them that they'll assimilate so that they won't be odd or different. But you're all of a sudden going to say, yeah, put me in jail. Honey, it doesn't work that way. I wish it did. I wish something would just rise up in our carnal life and say, oh, no, that's too far. But my experience is that's not what happens. See, Paul knew it was not cultural decay, it was not demonic influence, but his own uncrucified flesh that stood between him and the crown that he was searching for. Paul had a calling and a great commission to seek and to save that that only flesh could stop. Only flesh could stop that. Because when I get fleshly, I start not thinking about others. I'm, I'm me-focused. When I'm fleshly, it's my desire and what I want and my comfort and my rest, right? My entertainment, my time. 
And so we're trying to destroy that because Paul had a calling. That's what he's trying to do is to bring that up, make his body a slave so that his body responded to what he knew was true and not his, his God being his belly. You know that's in the scripture, right? Paul said their God is their belly. If their belly, you know, growls, they say, what do you want? What can I give you? Right? You don't think, and everybody's like, food's not that big a deal. We got big sin issues. Well, I'm going to tell you that it was the first sin was about food. She saw it was pleasant to the eyes and good for food. They ate themselves out of paradise. They did. That was what it was. They ate themselves out of house and home. So if you don't think that is, if you can't discipline yourself in that area, why should we think, oh man, you know what I mean? When they bind me hand and foot and take me, go and burn me at the stake, I'm going to say, oh, I'm just going to sing a hymn. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work that way. I wish it did, right? The passion of the Christ in the cross had become the passion of Paul to get out the good news, right? Some of the things he has probably denied himself of are not even sinful, but they are not help him achieve the goal of saving sinners. That's his goal. His prize is to complete his calling and to reach as many people as possible. That's his prize, not salvation. He said, I have a calling. I was brought into the kingdom for a purpose. I was given an apostleship. I saw uh, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, right? He talked to me face to face. He gave me this calling, and I have to complete it. And what's between me and doing that is my flesh. Because the more I pamper it, the more me-centric it becomes. The less I see the hurting, the less I notice those who are lost. And, and, and the tear, you know, running down the cheek of someone that's that's waiting on me. I don't notice that, right? Because it's me and I've got plans and I've got, I've got things to check off and it's my day, right? And so Paul understood the thing that kept him being other-centric was his flesh. He said in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and you can read the whole text, he said, all things are permitted, but not all things are beneficial. This is, a, this is somebody with a calling. This is somebody with a commission. He's not talking about sin, he said, they're not beneficial for me. He said, I've got one goal. And if it doesn't help me achieve that goal, I get it out of my life. Right? He goes on to say, all things are permitted, but not all things build people up. He said, I'm looking for something, way to get the gospel and to build up the church and to win sinners. He said, that is my metric. That's my objective. So there are a lot of things he said, I don't allow, not because they're bad in of themselves. In this issue, he's talking about meat sacrificed to an idol. He said, I can eat it. He said, I know it's a piece of wood or stone. He said, but if it offend my brother, I'll eat no meat while time standeth. Why? Because I'm others-centric. I'm not my liberty over their growth. That, see, that's totally opposite of our culture. It's just like, my life, I'm going to do what I want to do. I make my mind spin like I want. I'm, you know, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Paul said, I, God doesn't even have to tell me to do it. My overriding mission and calling tell me to discipline myself and put some things out of my life. Let me, let me just help you. I mean, you could go deep into self-control, but let me just give you a simple. By definition, self-control means overruling your emotion because of your higher goal. 
Because you want to please and honor God, you must go against your feelings, right, and your own desires. I had this situation back in the fall where I didn't feel anything where I preached. I, I, I didn't like anything that I prepared to preach. And, you know, it was just a test. It was, you know, and I was thankful for the times when I feel the presence of God and I feel the confirmation of the Spirit while I'm preaching or after and all that stuff. But it wasn't happening. And I had to just say, God, I just told God, look, if I don't ever feel that again, it's fine. I'm going to be faithful to what you called me to do. I am not going to be ruled by my emotions. I'm not going to let the gospel be held captive and other people who need to hear it be held captive because I don't feel something. Right? I have a commission. I have a calling. I'm going to be faithful to that. And you know what? The thing, it was in me because I asked several other people. They said, I didn't notice any difference. It was in me. And I could have hindered the gospel over my feelings because I didn't feel it. That's the way the world thinks. When you don't feel it, you faith it. I've got promises. I know who I serve. I know in whom I believe. I've got promises when I don't feel it. Praise God. I got promises that were two or three of this name. He's in the midst of them. Even if I can't find him, he's there. Even if I can't discern his presence, he's there. Discipline means to exert oneself from the Greek word that means agonize. To fight, to labor fervently, to strive, to devote serious effort or energy. It implies great exertion against great difficulty and suggests persistent effort. To struggle, to contend as with an adversary. All of these actions picture an intense struggle for victory. All right? Like I said, this is far from that idea of let go and let God. You know, it just happens by osmosis. It doesn't happen by osmosis. I'm going to tell you, some of the things you are even praying about during this fast are not because God doesn't want you to have them, but you're not ready to have them. Because you don't have enough self-control to possess them. Some of you looking at me askance, I'm telling you, God would not give you anything that was bad for you. That would hurt your walk with Him. But I know some people, if they got a boatload of cash, man, they quit the ministry in a minute. Right? Not worth it. Some of us, you don't know what you would do. You think, I know when we're spending that theoretical cash, it always goes ties first, right? Gina was like, you know, we were talking about her extra cash and, and her selling houses and stuff. We were like, oh, yeah, we'll give our tithes and then pay off Riley's bill and then we'll do this and pay off the house. That, that theoretical cash spends great, and you always got your priorities aligned. But that, that actual cash ain't that easy, is it? Why is that? Because we always have the best will when there's no cash to spend, right? But when we got it, it's like, That's one of my pet peeves about us. And I, Pentecostals, I say us, I'm one of you, okay? You know, we'll let the Holy Ghost move our lips and speak in an unknown tongue. But it reaches down for more than a dollar and we're like, <laughs> same spirit. You can have my lips all you want to. You can't have that, right? So, watch you can probably watch it. This is kind of late in the year, but next August, you, you those of you who are 
new to this part of Texas, you're going to see kids out there in two a days, two practices a day. Matter of fact, my daughter had, was in band for one semester, and she had three practices a day, three a days in band. Hot as blue blazes out there. You're going to see this in August when two a days start, right? Just watch the young football players sweating under a hot August sun, clad with padding and helmets, and their faces grimaced with distress and even pain. If they did this because their lives were threatened, we might understand it, right? What, a, what is difficult to grasp is they do it voluntarily. They want to be there. They want to be there, right? Because they feel what they're pursuing is worth the effort. They feel what's possible is worth the sacrifice. They f- Many of these teams won't even make the playoffs. But when they start two days, we're going to make a playoffs. We're going to win a state championship. Or you wouldn't be out there, right? We are. And they think what's possible. Now, we have something that's promised. They think what's possible that may not likely happen to any of them is worth the effort. We have an imperishable crown that is promised to us. And we have to think it's worth the commitment, worth the sacrifice, worth the exer- exertion. Help me. Think about that. Offer a trophy that will be kept in a glass case in a school that they'll soon forget. And will forget that they went there. The voluntary, they voluntarily wanted to play and they will torture themselves in order to win. And Paul says, how much more we who run for an imperishable crown should discipline ourselves? should say no to some things in order because we see the prize as worth the fast. The prize as worth the self-denial. The prize as worth disciplining our selfishness and getting others-centric. Let me, let me say this very carefully because is Riley here? Is she here tonight? She is back. Wonderful. She and I have a little joke. Now, it's, I don't want you to go out there and find this, but let me say self-control is more than just saying no. Okay? It was a little play, and I don't, it, it's, it's very irreverent and not nice, but there's a little play out there, and that's their little phrase, and they're a, it's based on a religious culture, and they say, you know, turn it off like a light bulb. Turn it off. You know what I mean? If if y'all know this play, that's fine, okay? But it's very irreverent. But they think it's so, you know, click like a light bulb, turn it off. You know, when this happens, turn it off, you know. And let me just say that self-control is more than saying no, all right? It's much more. But you're saying no in a certain way, and that is you say no by faith in the superior power and pleasure of the things that you get in Christ, You are making a value statement of my time and what I use it for that there are things in the spirit that are not tangible, I can't get my hands on, that are more valuable, more precious, more pleasurable than just doing what I want to do. That's what you are saying. You are saying, I know it. Maybe I've never tasted them before. Maybe I can't handle them. Maybe they don't go in my bank account. But there are experience and exhilaration in the spirit that I'm after that are more important than my daily bread. 
Amen? That's what we're saying when we discipline ourselves. We are telling the world, I am not just a body. I'm a spirit that will live eternally. And there are things that feed my spirit that you, 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 you don't know of. It is the word of God. That's what we're saying. That's what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to accomplish this bit of acumen and skill at saying no and having self-control. We are testifying of our firm confidence that there are joys, comforts, and experiences in the Spirit that are far more satisfying than food. That's what you're saying. Far more satisfying. Now, it takes a disciplined person to gain this perspective. Because in day one and some of the days you guys are describing, I understand. Your body is like, feed me! Right? Feed me! That there's nothing to wait on. It's all instant gratification right now. It's always right now the demand is. I read a psychological study. This happened years ago. They took a bunch of five-year-olds and they followed them, I think, for 20 years. They brought them into a little room and they gave them five M&Ms. And they said, if you can wait five minutes, I'll double the number of M&Ms. There's only a small percentage of kids that could wait five minutes and get double, right? And then I think they came back in another two minutes and gave them like 10 more, right? So they had 20. Small percentage of kids who could defer gratification. Everybody else, you know, they followed these kids for 20 years. Guess what they found? The kids who could defer gratification, who could say no to themselves for a greater gain later, did far better in school, in their jobs, in the money they made. Far better than everyone else. Right? Because Paul said, I make my body a slave so that I can preach the gospel, so that I can reach people. Because he believes people's souls are far more valuable than filet mignon. He believes that the worth of an unsaved person who's ever heard the gospel is far better than pecan pie. And I shouldn't be using those words while you're fasting, but I am. Because you have to believe that. You have to believe it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? So you haven't experienced some of these things that are greater than a hamburger. But I'm telling you, they're out there. You have to believe that. And that God wants to compensate you when you set aside these things. And understand, saying no is just as ruthless it may be painful, but the difference between worldly self-control and godly self-control is crucial. Who will get the glory for the victory? See, worldly self-control is I'm the athlete, I train, I win the prize, I get the endorsements, I get the money, I get the television commercial. But for us, who gets the glory is God, not me. It's not about me. It is about me glorifying God and, and believing that there are things that I haven't experienced out there if I will say no to myself and I can be of greater use and more sensitive to him when I say no. Amen? With us, Christ gets the glory. If we exercise self-control by faith, Christ is superior power and pleasure, Christ will get the glory. Fasting is a declaration that my desires do not rule my conduct, even legitimate desires like food. They're not sinful. It does not rule. 
It does not have, it is not my authority. I'm in control. My belly is not my God. My hunger and its growling is secondary to hearing the voice of God, to following the will of God, to knowing Him, to becoming like Him. See, it is a practical way to value the spiritual and the eternal above the natural and the temporary. The body is not eternal. This body will be glorified and changed, right? But this body is not eternal. We're going to shake this off like a dusty rag. Don't invest in a dying asset. Right? Don't invest in a, in a diminishing asset. That's, that's what we're saying. To allow our body to dominate our behavior puts on a, on a level of instinctual animals. You ever notice, especially with predators, Mostly with predators. You ever notice that when they, they're on all fours, their body and their head are in alignment. Matter of fact, their backside, their, their belly, and their head are all in alignment. Right? Instinctual beings, one is not the, they are all legitimate to defecate, to eat. Right? Right? Self-preservation, all those are on equal lo- levels. When we allow our stomach, right, and our desires... To, to win most of the time, then we are acting like animals because we are supposed to walk upright where this has authority over this. And this, what we know and who we are and who we've been made by Christ and what we've experienced has authority over even below there. Trying to be... Right? But with an animal to mate, to eat, or self-preservation, they're all equal to them. They just as well, you know, mate or eat as do anything else. That is not us. We've been a new creation in Christ. This, this renewed mind we've been given, this helmet of salvation of who we are is supposed to rule over the other desires. Right? And when we don't, then we get down to that level. Remember Paul talks about them being brute beasts. Well, you, what is he saying? He's saying the same thing. He said there's no distinguishing their head you know, their reproductive process and their stomach are all on the same level. There's no ruler of that. They just live by instinct. They feel like it, they do it. That's what our world does. You are called to something greater. You are called for something more. And you will never experience that as long as we say, okay, I'll do what I feel. Our stomach is to be subordinate to our knowledge, desires, and dreams. I mean, think about it. It is key ingredient to developing the discipline of self-control. If you can't subordinate your appetite to your spiritual priorities, then what's the likelihood you can say no to the greater temptations? Think about that. What's the likelihood? Come on, let me just give it one example. And I'll use boys and girls, you know. Here you are, you've been praying and you've been fasting and maybe a part of your fasting is, God, bring me a husband or a wife. Right? Bring me a husband or a wife. And they show up. And they don't slip into your DMs. They actually come and actually meet you. And they are fabulous. And they are wonderful. And you have everything in common. And you talk for hours and don't realize it's hours. And they're moral. And they've got good morals. Maybe even better morals than some of the Holy Ghost field guys you've dated. Or girls. Right? And they tell the truth and they honor their mom and dad, but you find out they don't really believe it takes God to do that. You can be moral without that. Is he an answer to prayer? 
she an answer to prayer? That's right, no. But a lot of us, you're not ready for that. If you haven't said no into these areas you can control, right, and push back from, if we can't push back from that, you think you're going to be ready to go, no, he's everything I want. My, my parents love him. He's got a good job. He's got the same education. He's, he's a moral guy. You think you're going to say no? You're not. If you can't push back from the table, right, if you can't do a little Daniel, you're not going to be able to do that. That's what we're doing. This has real world implications. This is real world stuff. Think about that. If we can't push back to the table or limit our consumption for spiritual health, what chance do we have against unhealthy romantic relationships and opportunities for status and wealth, right? No, I, I, I can tell you this. This is, this is an old story, okay? This is an old story. Uh, my wife worked with a lot of attorneys and through having relationships with them. And I mean, we were maybe not even in our second building. We might have been in the Methodist church. We were just a little tiny place, you know. And I was through their relationship and her relationship just called in sometimes, met them when they had death of spouse or death of a child or something. So I preached a lot of their funerals, you know, a good number of them anyway, three or three, I think. And uh, I remember after one of them, uh, one of her bosses that she ultimately worked for, called me on the phone. He said, Brett, he said, he did an incredible job on that funeral, man. That was a tough one. That was a baby, stillborn, didn't live for long. And man, that was, that was awesome. He said, you're a great minister. He said, he said, why, why in the world don't you, you know, get you another church, you know, get, you know, you, people should follow, people should be in your church, you, you should, you know, why don't you let me do ABC, I don't remember all he talked about, let, you know, and promote this thing, and, you know, you kind of, you know, kind of dumb down that tongue talking and that, you know, you kind of, right? And I don't remember all of it. This has been years ago. But you, you just kind of, you know, just, just, just preach a life gospel. I could really help you. You know? It was easy for me to laugh there. It was easy. But there's a lot of guys, that person comes along and says, here's a million dollars. Here's a church building. Now, all you got to do, you know, is play by my rules. You know, kind of feed the middle row. And they're not ready for that. Because they've never disciplined themselves to say no. And I'm not, I'm not patting myself on the back here. I mean, it's nice when people say, hey, you can do a lot better, right? I can help you, you know what I mean? Your problem is your doctrine. No, my problem is not the doctrine. I want a congregation. I want some saints. I don't want a crowd, right? Anybody can have a crowd. I can start a fire out front and a crowd would stop to see it. Think about Daniel and the three Hebrew children. If Daniel and his friends didn't discipline themselves in their dietary convictions, that's what prepared them to stand against idolatry despite the consequences of the fiery furnace even when everyone else did. You think those things are not related? You think if they would have just compromised on the dietary and said, yeah, we eat anything, we're here, we're, you know... They had a line, and when they stuck to, stuck to it in small areas, when, when the big test come, that was no problem for them. They were say, we're not going to bend. We're not going to worship that. We're not going to do that. 
Now, I want you to understand why you're fasting. The reason we do these together is prayer is more than a set-aside ritual. Prayer is the essence of being human. What I mean by that, being attuned to the limitations and my mortality. I get tired. I get sick. I'm not God. I need help from God. It is the essence of really being human to have a prayer life. It is to say, there are things beyond my understanding. There are things outside of my control. But you are almighty and you can help and you can intervene. And I trust you and I love you and I bring it before you. It's to confess that there are things beyond our control and to Seek supernatural help instead of resigning ourselves to hopelessness. What do people without prayer do? You have to resign yourself to hopelessness. If there is no help, if you can't figure it out, if somebody can't help you, there's nothing you could do. But with you, you always have a resource and a provider and at least a counselor if he says no, that he's going to bring you through. It is the understanding there is a God and I'm not him. I mean, when you come to that, you're on your way. There is a God and I'm not him. He has wisdom, resources, guidance, and help for us that he only shares through a dependent, relational conversation. He wants us to ask because we're admitting I'm human, I'm not you. We're admitting I'm dependent on you unless you provide, unless you help me, unless you strengthen me. This is too much for me. I don't have the power within myself. And that's why the writer of Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding. It is saying, I'm not going to lean on what I know. I'm not going to lean on science. I'm going to lean on you. Prayer is the declaration that there is unlimited help from a benevolent God who has promised to help his redeemed people. He has obligated himself to us by promise. You understand that? He didn't have to do that, but to encourage us and to exhort us to prayer, he said, hey, ask and you shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. Everyone that asketh receiveth. Everyone that seeketh findeth. To everyone that knocketh it shall be opened. He said that to us to encourage us. Yet there's nothing too hard. Here's the thing. I only gave you a few verses of 1 Corinthians 9, but I think in my preaching I gave it away. Paul gives the purpose for his discipline. He's not just being disciplined just because he's a problem. He says, I do all this. He said, I make myself a slave to all people. Why? That I might save some. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing with three weeks of prayer fasting is I want to see somebody saved. I'll put my desires aside for a time so that I can focus on the lost and those who've yet to hear and those that are bound that need to be free and those that are discouraged that need to be encouraged and those that are in prison who needed to be visited. I'm going to put my, my mind on the other. He's not trying to become a super saint. He's saying no to his own freedom until it's almost instinctive to put the needs and the souls of others above his own. Watch this. He says it in 1 Corinthians 9 and 19. For though I am free from all people, I made myself a slave to all. So that I might gain more. To the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might gain the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself. So that I might gain those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, I became as one without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So that I might gain those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might gain the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I might by all means save some. I do all these things for the sake of the gospel. 
I do all these things. I have a purpose. What's behind the self-discipline? So that the gospel would get out. So that I wouldn't become lazy and self-absorbed and forget about the lost. That's why. So that I just wouldn't go, I'm saved and I'm, I, I, I've been filled and I've been baptized and I'm just waiting on Jesus to come back. Look, if that was his only goal, an angel would have hit you over the head with a hammer when that happened. Right? Ding, there's another one. Let's take him out. No, no chance for him to be lost. He was right, right then. Bing! But you're still here. Why? Because there is a work to do. And God wants to use you. He could do it without us, but he wants to work through us. But he works best through those who have disciplined themselves to become other-centric who have said no to themselves enough that it almost becomes instinctual to see the needs of the less fortunate and have compassion on those who are hurting and struggling. You can stand with me. I didn't intend it to go that long. I'm sorry. I think the crown is worth the commitment. The crown is not something I achieve. The crown is that we win people and we reach people. And that we love people and we include people and we accept people. But I can't be others focused and others sensitive if I'm consumed with me, mine, and my day and my schedule. And, and this is what fasting does. I'm sure it does a lot of other things. There are breakthroughs and miracles and all that other stuff. That'll come. But in my mind, Paul understood it well. He said, I'm in my way. He said, I'm in my way. And you and I both are in our way in some way or another. And so I want to encourage you during the next two days as we continue to press forward regardless of what type of fasting you're doing. Understand that I am saying no to some things so that I can feast on some things that are far superior. That are far more beneficial to me eternally then the food will be for me temporarily. That's what you're doing. You got to get a hold of that and you got to get your eye on that. Man, what it should do to us, if, if this has been very difficult with you, what I want you to do is I think I'm going to call a fast in August of next year. And if you're struggling, I want you to go to two two-a-day practices. <laughs> yes, yes. I want you to go out there and watch those kids bounce off each other and sweat and run over there. Get some water, you know what I mean? Come back in the evening and do it again. And you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Yes, winning, being victorious, living the abundant life is worth it. Amen? Praise God. Seeing people filled with the Spirit is worth that. It is more valuable than the state championship. Amen? So that's your, Amen. Praise God. That's your assignment. Okay? I wish the cowboys would let us in. You know what I mean? But they, they wouldn't let us in probably. I'd like to go in there and see one of their weight workouts and, and we're over there going. <sighs> what? For, for an imperishable crown. Something that's not eternal. And Paul's just borrowing. He said people do this all the time. He said, don't we have goals and dreams and visions that are far more valuable, that, that won't rot, that won't corrupt, right? That thieves can't break in and steal and moth. 
eat. Hallelujah. Father, I pray that we would see through the power of the Spirit, God, that the crown, Lord, the crown of being useful, the crown of being used, the crown of warning someone from the danger of a place with weeping and gnashing of teeth is worth, God. It's worth, God, the commitment, God. It's worth the discomfort, Lord Jesus. And that we would commit ourselves more fully so that we could be better used in the kingdom. We could be more sensitive to the needs of those around us, God. And we could learn more of the word so we have more confidence when someone asks us why we have hope behind this world. And ask us for the reason of our faith. That we could be more prepared to be used of God. I ask that in Jesus' name. I ask for us, Lord God, to see, Lord, and have a vision for something that is before us, a revival and an ingathering and a harvest. Our friends, our co-workers, God, people we've reached to, people we've loved, God, that would come in during this time of prayer and fasting, Lord God, that we would reach to them.